The passage of scripture in James that we're looking at today and we'll look at next week as well gives us some very clear instruction about prayer, about what our prayer life is to look like. Um, And so over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at that as we wrap up this series on James. And then in in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a new series entitled God Is, where we're going to look at some of the hard questions about the character and nature of God and sometimes why that's hard for us to understand. And I want to invite you that if you have questions... Uh, go ahead and write those out, send me an email, and we'll incorporate those into, into the series and do our best to answer from God's word your question, whatever it is. However hard it is, um, we'll do our best to try to see what the scripture has to say about that. But when it comes to prayer, um, one of the convictions that I have in my own heart is actually an old saying. It's, a, it's an old preacher saying where it says, I would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. How many of you would agree with that? Especially when, it, when Drew gets close to about 12.05 and it's lunchtime, you're going, I think it might be time for us to see a sermon and for him to be quiet. Well, I agree that I'd far, it's far more powerful to see a sermon. To see what God has done in taking his truth, incorporating into someone's life, and seeing them live it out. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be having some testimony time as part of our service that allows us to, to see a glimpse of what God is doing in and through hearts around us. And today, Mindy Tarleton is going to come and she's going to share about prayer and about how God has used that in her heart and her life. And I know that we will be blessed because in all honesty, she lives a far better sermon than I could ever preach. So Mindy, would you come and share for us? Well, good morning. Thank you for this opportunity to share. Um, there. <laughs> How many here today have at least one device with us that holds at least 100 photos? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm no professional, but I do love taking photos as well of friends, of family, sunset steeples. I mean, we're in an amazing place to take photos. But there are some really dear pictures to me that only live in my heart. And some of these are pictures that relate to prayer. The first is Jeremiah 29, verse 11a, a beautiful verse that God the Father gave me as my life verse many years ago. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This has been a go-to picture frame for my life, knowing my Father's loving heart and sovereign hand have all things planned out and under control for good. So, on the morning of March 5th, 2014, Ash Wednesday, age 44, I received my cancer diagnosis. No, no cameras were pulled out in Dr. Yanova's office to commemorate this date that's forever embedded in my history. And as my sister has candidly reminded me, my whole family's medical history now, um, But before even stepping outside of her office door, our own dear Yana 
and my friend who was here with me from the States, Jean, drew near to God, starting to intercede on my behalf as my journey with cancer began. Jean also started a Caring Bridge website for me, and over 12,000 visits have been made to this site from all over the world, leaving many notes referencing prayer. If you'd like info about that, I've got that here. I'll put it up on the bench for you. And on the evening of March 5th, 2014, my fiancé arrived from Moscow, Russia, and without batting an eye, Ed said, marry me sooner so we can go through this together. So about two weeks later, we do have many photos of our wedding (laughs) that include our family praying over us during the ceremony. But that's a different photo book we won't completely open right now. In terms of my ICP family here, I wasn't the only one in the midst of serious physical health battles that year. So one Sunday, at the end of the service, Pastor Drew invited us to come and sit right here on this front bench. We were then surrounded with a cloud of witnesses who anointed us with oil and showered us with prayers for mercy and healing to our God. My share ministry family in Budapest also anointed me with oil and said prayers on my behalf that spring and the faithful prayer warriors, warriors who meet daily at Museum here to pray for Prague between 7 and 7.30 a.m. were also battling on their knees. These heart photos of prayer draw me to Hebrews 7, verse 25, which says, Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So many dear, powerful, tearful prayers have been said in Jesus' name. And he who is able to save in the present and eternally through miracles, medicine, and carrying us to heaven has interceded himself as well as honored the prayers of so many others. Yes, he has had mercy on me as well as on all of us who gathered right here in that pew and for myself. My stage four cancer has been in remission for over two and a half years now. Praise God. So finally, Romans 8 verse 26 says, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity captured and lovingly captures in prayer. Various trials and temptations are part of this side of heaven. Some, like cancer, can more easily be shared publicly. Others we bear alone in our hearts and minds, wrestling and grieving without words. But all of these can be brought to our Father, God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who has a plan, who is good, who is able to save forever, and who intercedes for us when we can't find the words, or we don't have the cameras to snap the pictures, but we can still carry them in our hearts. Thank you.
Prayer is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And if we're honest, at least the confession that I would make would be if there's any area of my spiritual walk that needs far greater investment, it is my prayer life. And it is my hope that today and next week as we explore together this passage of Scripture, that God will challenge us to take what he says about prayer not only to heart, but to live it more deeply on a daily basis. Now, these verses that, are, that we uh, had read for us here are uh, flowing out of some earlier verses in James. James, in his letter, uses a lot of repetition. He comes back to themes over and over again and reinforces them and looks at them from a slightly different perspective. And I believe this particular passage of Scripture actually flows out of James chapter 4, verse 8, where he said this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What he's doing is he's giving us the pathway to intimacy with God. You see, prayer is asking for the needs of our heart, the burdens that we face, the troubles that we go through, the suffering we experience, we're to take to the Lord in prayer. And also, we're to take the joys that we experience. This is part of what we see in this passage as well. But ultimately, those are steps on a pathway that lead to a much more important place. Ultimately, it leads to nearness and intimacy with God. So if you really want to see your spiritual life take on a whole new dimension, take these words to heart and ask the Lord to grow you in prayer, to teach you to pray. And you will discover that as you take those steps, the Lord is coming closer and closer and you will experience his presence. Well, I want to give a, a simple little outline um, of verses 13 through 16 and just highlight some truths. We're really only going to look at verse 13 today. So, um, because when I started writing this, it got really, really long. I know that you've never experienced me doing that before, but it happened this time for some reason, and I didn't make it past verse 13. But I want to give you a little bit of the sketch. So let me, let me read these verses again and then just kind of give you an outline uh, of where we'll be going this week and next week. Is anyone among you troubled or suffering? Let him pray. That's the first invitation. Secondly, is anyone cheerful or happy? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's the promise you need to hold on to. Now, let me start by defining a righteous person. A righteous person isn't someone who has everything in their life, their act altogether. A righteous person is one who's been declared righteous by the work of Jesus Christ that they have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and that is the basis of their salvation and the basis upon which they come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. When we come upon that truth, 
it is powerful and it can accomplish amazing, amazing things. Well, here in these few verses, we, I want to highlight a few things that we see. Number one, we see brokenness. We see suffering. He begins by that simple question. If anyone is in trouble, if anyone is suffering, here's what you do. And the reason he begins there is because he wants to remind us that God is near to the brokenhearted. He wants you to come to him with your struggles, with your trials, with your hurts, with your disappointments, with your fears. Secondly, though, we see another reality. We see beauty. God, the Father, desires to share the joy of our experiences with us. He delights in a cheerful heart. And that's why he says, if anyone is cheerful, if anyone is happy, sing. Sing with all that is in you. That's really what what it's saying in there. Let it out. It's in some ways sad that we can cheer so loudly for a sporting event but we often are so silent when it comes to the wonders of what God has done. Let it out. Thirdly, we see that God answers prayers of faith. God chose the simple yet powerful act of prayer to do incredible, amazing things. And the scriptures here are a testimony of how God answers prayer and uses it to accomplish his purpose. It's sometimes asked, if God is going to accomplish his will and his purpose anyway, then why pray? Well, the simple answer is that is how God designed for us to work, for us to connect with him and understand that ultimately the purpose of prayer is not for us to have our wants met or our needs met answered. The purpose of prayer is intimacy with God. It is to connect with him. But we could take the same statement. The scripture tells us that every day of your life is numbered. So are the hairs upon your head. Some of them here in this room, that number is getting smaller and smaller. That's okay. God has the number. But he says all your days are measured. So therefore, if God knows the day that you and I are going to die, why do you breathe? I know you have to think about that for a moment. It's because that's how he made us to live. And he wants us to experience life all the way through those fullness of days that he gives to us. And he's designed prayer to be the vehicle That just as breathing brings oxygen into our lungs, prayer brings the life of God's spirit into us and awakens us and draws us into his presence. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, fourthly, we not only see that God answers prayers as is promised here in this passage, but that God uses the authority, first of all, of his name, of the name of Jesus Christ to accomplish his purpose and work in our lives. And he also uses the structure, the gathering of his church together. This is why we're told to pray with one another, confess our sins to one another as the body of Christ. And in the case specifically, he gives instruction about about healing is that in, in certain cases, and we'll look at this more next week, 
were to follow this instruction of recognizing his presence, his authority, even in the work and leadership of his church as part of our expression of faith in prayer. It's not because it's magical. It's simply an act of obedience. It's not because elders are more um, holy than other people. That's not it. It's a recognition of God's instruction and authority. It's an act of faith. Well, let's begin to look at those, the, at least the first two and, and deal with two realities that face us all the time because this verse meets us where we are in, in the intersection of two realities that we live in. Those two realities are the reality of brokenness and beauty. We live in a world that is broken. It is broken because of sin, sin of humanity, sin of others, and my sin. My life is broken because of things that I have done. My life has been broken because of things that have been done to me. My life experiences great brokenness in a variety of different ways because sin exists in our world. And in the midst of that, that struggle and that reality, God wants us to also hold on to another truth, another reality. And that is the beauty of who he is and what he has made. That's why our life tends to fluctuate between those two extremes. There are moments when we see the immeasurable beauty of life as God created it and designed it. We see the wonders of his creation, the beauty of the colors in a sunset, the wonders for those who, um, those who come from the, the United States or at least from from the Western Hemisphere as they got to experience um, the eclipse this last week. And then that beauty and wonder was followed by a hurricane. So, you know, you got beauty and brokenness that just kind of collide all the time in our world. So that's a reality that we live in is those two truths. But the answer, the part that brings beauty even in the midst of brokenness is intimacy with God because he is greater and bigger than the brokenness we experience. And so with that understanding, let me come to verse 13 and let's look at it. Here's what he says. If any of you are suffering, let him pray. Now I want to invite you to look at suffering from a totally different perspective today. It's, it's a perspective that recurs in the book of James um, he said early in the very beginning of it, count it all joy when you enter into various trials. That tends to be difficult for us to do. But here, he's given us in the instruction of what to do in the midst of trials. Is anyone suffering, let him pray. Let me give you a, a truth that I hope you'll be able to, to grab a hold of. Suffering is an invitation to intimacy with God. Instead of only looking at the trials and the difficulties that we go through, the pain, the fearful things that we experience, instead of only looking at them from the negative side of how could this happen to me, I want to challenge us to look at it as an invitation to intimacy. Because that's where God begins. If you are suffering, if you are troubled, pray. What he's saying is, come to me. This is my invitation to you. This is an opportunity for your life to discover who I am in a way you never imagined before. 
Now, for some of us, this is kind of like, I don't know, how many of you have ever gotten an invitation to something that you really didn't want to go to? <laughs> yeah, Vartan's right there with me. Me too. I mean, there's, there's things where he's like, oh, you know, I don't know that I really want to go to that, but I need to go to it. And then after you get there, you discover, wow, that was really cool. It was a great time. That was, I, didn't ha- I had really bad expectations, and it turned out amazing. That's God's invitation. On the surface, to us, it looks incredibly troublesome. But God has something beautiful for us in the midst of this. Suffering is an invitation to intimacy with God. And let me give you just some benefits of suffering. We often don't think about this, but they're true. First of all, pain and suffering can help refine our faith. Testing produces endurance, and it is used to help us make us more like Christ. That's why the scripture uses the image as gold is refined by fire, so the heart of people is refined by testing. Pain and suffering, secondly, can help us to comfort others who are going through their own trials. It connects our lives more closely together. Suffering binds us and makes us one. Pain and suffering can be the tool sometimes that lead us to repentance and to salvation. Sometimes it takes some pain, some difficulty to turn our life around and head it in the right direction. Also, pain and suffering sometimes is for our own protection. The scripture tells us that the apostle Paul prayed three times for the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh. Now, I don't know if you can can have an example of someone who is more faithful, who saw more prayers answered than Paul. But God said no each time to his prayer. That should tell us that God doesn't always heal in this life. He doesn't always take the infirmities that we have away. In the case of Paul, he told him that it was there to keep him from becoming too proud, from becoming puffed up. Sometimes the difficulties that we go through are actually God's way of protecting us from ourselves. We may not like it, but I am so thankful because as I look back in my life, I see areas where God has protected me from me through trial and through difficulty. And now I can give him praise for doing that. Pain and suffering can allow us also to become more like Christ. We can begin to identify with his sacrifice in far more intimate ways. That's why Philippians encourages us that we share in the sufferings. Paul prays that he would share in the sufferings of Christ. He wants to know him more intimately in that way. It gives us a a better picture of God's heart, God's love for us. All right, now, that's a lot for me to pull out of one little phrase, right? But we have to look at the context. So I want you to back up, because I pulled all those things out of out of one verse, and to, to show you that I'm not just making things up, I want to, I want to back it up and, and see what James is talking about. Back up in your, in your Bibles to verse 10 of James chapter 5. As an example of suffering and patience, see, he's on the same subject. 
that he told us when you experience suffering, pray. Now he's going to, now as we're backing up, we're seeing where he's coming from, what he's thinking in his, in his heart and his mind and the, the, the background of all this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. He's saying, look back at what God has done in the hearts and lives of his prophets, how he used suffering in their life to purify them, to raise them up into positions where God was able to use them for greatness and to show the glory of who he is. Look at their example. And then he goes on to give us a very specific example. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. I want you to remember that phrase, maybe even look at it. He's saying, I want you to look back at Job and see the purpose for which Job went through everything he went through. For, For those of you who aren't familiar with the biblical character of Job, Job suffered incredibly. He lost all of his children, all of his possessions. His body was stricken with disease and with with, um, boils all over his body. He suffered incredibly. He had three friends who were absolutely worthless, who kept telling him all the worst possible advice that just made his suffering even worse. And his wife, his instruction was, Job, just curse God and die. Real support there. Thanks, honey. You know, um, glad we're together on this. He had a really tough time. But here he's, he's pointing that there was a purpose that God was doing in Job's life. And he specifically says that part of that purpose was to show how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job suffered to learn the mercy and compassion of God. That seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? But God had a purpose in the life of Job, and his purpose was to reveal his greatness, his glory to Job and through Job. And when we read it, we tend to be puzzled when we look at all the things that happened to him. If we look at it just on the surface, it could appear like God is unjust in all the things that he allowed to happen to Job. And Job himself had a lot of questions His property was was taken. His children died. He experienced incredible physical pain and suffering. He asked why, just like we would. And God did not answer his why. But in the end, God restored his blessings to Job. We read in chapter 42 that he was blessed later with seven sons and three daughters, and he lived to see his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and his great-great-grandchildren. His possessions were restored multiple times over. God graciously blessed Job, but that was not his great blessing. That was not the purpose of what God was doing in Job's life. Let me show you his purpose. Turn in your Bibles. We'll put it on the screen. Job chapter 42, verse 5. These are Job's own words. After going through everything, this is what he said. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, speaking of God, but now my eye sees you. Through all of the difficulty, Job discovered that his suffering was an invitation to intimacy with God. 
he discovered who he is in ways he never imagined before. And I believe he would very strongly tell you the answer to the question that we all have in the midst of suffering, which is, is it worth it? And Job would say, yes, yes, because I have seen who God really is. I now have an intimacy and relationship with him that is far greater in comparison to the things that I went through and that I lost. I had heard of you by the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see, suffering clarifies what is important. It strips back the facade, and we see the true depth of our own need. We see the importance of that which really lasts and what matters. We discover that we need God far more than we know. When things are going well, we tend to overlook the generous grace that God has given to us. We make our plans as if it was, was in us or in our power that provides the good things we experience. We become comfortable with the gift, but we so often neglect the giver. But suffering opens our eyes to our need and takes us often to the very place where we needed most to go in the first place, the presence of God. So James, in his little verse of saying, is anyone suffering, let him pray, he's saying, God is offering you an invitation to come closer, to draw near to him so he can draw near to you. It's worth it. I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. That's the first thing. Suffering is an invitation to intimacy. And if we be begin to look at the trials that we go through, through that lens, you will find it will transform your experience and it will transform your relationship with God. You'll come to the point where maybe you say, you won't be able to say, I'm glad I went through that necessarily, but you'll be able to at least see the beautiful blessing of what God did in spite of the suffering or through the suffering. Well, secondly, in verse 13, he turns it over. We had brokenness, now we're gonna go to beauty because not all of life, fortunately, is suffering. It's fun. It's cheerful. Thank you. Yes. I need help. Remember, my emotional scale only goes from four to six. So help me on the positive side. I need it, okay? He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let it out. All right? Now, now here's, here's a beautiful thing about prayer. Prayer incorporates a lot of different aspects. We have thanksgiving, we have praise, and we have requests. We have prayer. But do you realize that prayer connects us with eternity? It transcends time. Think about it. Thanksgiving looks back on what God has already done. We draw our assurance about what he will do in the future based upon the faithfulness he's already demonstrated in our life and in the scripture and in the lives of others. It looks at the past and gives us a great foundation. Praise goes beyond thanksgiving in thanking God for what he has done. It praises God for who he is right here and right now. And that gives us confidence to take each step that we have in our daily lives. We praise God for who he is. And then prayer focuses on the future. 
Lord, here are the things I see that I need now and in the future. Here are the things that are weighing on my heart. And it connects all of those, that all of time together, past, present, and future, come together. And what do they do? They enter into the very presence of eternity into the throne room of God. Prayer is something that is eternal. And here's, here's the thing. Your prayers, did you know that God keeps them? They don't just bang. A prayer goes up and, and it's either answered yes or it's answered no or it's answered wait or later and, and it's over and done. That's kind of how we think about it. But that's not what we see in the scripture. I want to show you. Oh, so cool. I get excited about stuff that maybe others don't get excited about. But I get excited about it. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. It's really sweet. All right. Revelation chapter 5 verse 7. Jesus, this is, a, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, um, whenever you hear the book Revelation, it's not revelations, by the way, it's revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not about end times, although it includes things about that, it's about a person. So whenever you read it, keep that context in mind. It is the revelation of who Jesus is. That's what the book is all about. In fact, that's what this whole book is all about. Here's what it says, Revelation 5, verses 7 through 10. And when he, this is Jesus, when he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, and when he had taken the scroll, this is a scene inside the throne room of heaven, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Jesus. They worshiped him, each holding a harp, music, and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? Which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers become incense, an aroma that goes up continually before the throne of God in his presence. Isn't that beautiful? It's, I mean, it, it's sweet. Yeah. You can get excited. Go ahead. It's all right. And then, and then look what happens. So out of those prayers... A revival breaks out, and it says, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you rescued people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. One of the things I so love about our church is that we get to see a glimpse of this in ways that many other churches don't. When, when the whole congregation is gathered together, there are many Sundays when we'll have as many as 40 different nations represented. It's like a picture of what they're talking about here in heaven. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now he's talking about a new song that's being written for, for the coronation of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait to hear this song. I, I found it interesting because I, I did some research on at least on English songs, and there really aren't very many songs that are written from this particular passage. And I think maybe it's because God's saving it for this coronation, this celebration. But I'm convinced that this, this song is gonna be so amazing because when we read in other passages about the coronation of Jesus Christ, we see that not only do the, do the heavenly beings, the the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they begin the song, but it seems like it spreads. 
And the angels join in song, and God's people, the church, joins in song, and, na- and nature joins in song, where it says, you know, verses out of the Psalms, like, the rivers clap them hand- their hands and the mountains rejoice. It's a song that incorporates all that God has made being blended together in a fusion. I don't know if it's all in one language or everybody sings in their heart language. I don't have a clue what that is because it doesn't tell us, but it's going to be more amazing than any song we've ever heard. And that gets me excited. That gets me to want to to grow in my own praise life because I don't want to be so taken by surprise at that moment that I haven't already been practicing for it. Right now is a rehearsal for the coronation of Jesus Christ to exalt him and give him the praise he deserves. And that's what should ignite our praise. Wow. All right. Sorry. I'm going to distract myself. I can't wait to hear that song. Well, praise, he says, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Praise is all through the scripture, and it's connected very, very frequently with music, with songs. Praise does some amazing things to us. Number one, we read in Psalm 100 verse 4 that praise gives us access to God. It functions as a doorway into his presence. Just as suffering is an invitation to come close, praise actually opens the door so that we enter into his presence. That's what we read in Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Come into his presence. What's more, Praise softens the soil of our hearts so that we can receive the message that God wants to share with us. This is one of the reasons why why our corporate worship together is so important. Let me encourage you to do this. If at some point, whether whether I'm preaching or one of the elders are preaching or, or Ian's preaching, if God speaks to you through his word and through the message, go ahead and thank the praise team. Because God used them to prepare your heart and the heart of the one speaking. Because worship softens our heart. And it's a beautiful thing. This is part of what we discovered or experienced at camp with our children last week. With the students and young people. Their extended time in worship opened the door for God's spirit to do beautiful things in their hearts and lives. God uses worship to prepare our hearts. And here's something that's really, really cool. Turn to, I threw this one in at the last moment, so turn to Hebrews chapter two. Did you know that Jesus himself sings worship in the gathering of his people? Look what it says in Hebrews chapter two. This is, he's gonna end up quoting from Psalm 22, but look what it says. For it was fitting that he, this is Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Speaking of Jesus. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's talking to us, brothers and sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers and in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. He's quoting from Psalm 22, the psalm of the cross. And, it's, and the, the writer of Hebrews is saying this applies directly to Jesus Christ because that's who the whole chapter is about. And he's saying Jesus sings in the midst 
of his congregation, of us. When we come together and worship, God is singing. How beautiful is that? And Zephaniah takes it even farther. In Zephaniah 3.17, he says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. We sang that song earlier. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He sings with all his heart over us. God sings over us, and he created us to sing praise. This should be a part of who we are. We also discover that praise changes us. It ministers to our souls. It speaks into us in a deep, deep, deep way. This is why I believe that, that we see the first position that David had in the royal courts of Israel was that of a musician where he would come and play music for Saul. Now Saul was not a good king. He was rebellious against the Lord. He was sinful and he became tormented spiritually. And David would come and sing and play songs of worship that changed the countenance of Saul. It works the same way in our own hearts and lives. We need worship in our life to change us. Because you see, God also uses praise to defeat the enemy. There's an incredible passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, that, that talks about Je King Jehoshaphat going out against his enemies. And as he's preparing and he's given, given instruction from the Lord, what he tells him to do is to send forth the musicians. So in front of the army are all the musicians going out singing praise. And what it tells us, you can see it on the, on the screen. Let me just read it because that'll be, that'll be easier. Verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. God used praise to push back the enemy. He uses praise in our own hearts and life to push back the enemy of our souls as well. I have seen this so many times in my life, especially earlier on in my ministry, most of what I did was around television production. And so I would travel around the world and I would end up spending time in a lot of um, temples of false religion. I remember um, I was by myself doing a, a story um, in Brazil and, and part of that required me to, to spend time taping inside a spiritist temple. And I have to tell you, I have never sensed the presence of evil more strongly than I did there. I am absolutely convinced that the priest was demonically possessed. He ran an orphanage there, and I have never seen so much fear in the hearts of children. Everything about what he did while I was there and the, the fear in the hearts of these children spoke into my spirit that abuse, horrible abuse was happening. And it was demonic. 
And the only thing that I could do when I would come back out of that assignment was to meditate on the scripture and listen to praise music because I felt so battered spiritually. And God used that to minister to my soul. And he's done it many other times in other locations as well. We need that. And, and you have to understand, this, that's not who I am. I grew up in a home without music. Not because it was necessarily all that evil, it just wasn't productive. I mean, it didn't fit into my parents' work ethic. It's like, why would you waste your time on music? You know, there's business to be done. That's kind of how I grew up. And, and so it wasn't natural for me, but I've learned how incredibly important it is to worship the Lord. Because you see, praise is the doorway into God's presence. Now, I have a lot of other things I'd like to say, but instead of that, instead of finishing that, let's, let's do this. Because these verses are not a suggestion, they are a command. A command that if we're suffering, we are to pray. If we're cheerful, we are to praise. Now, praise is more than, than musical praise. It is... It is um, expressed in all kinds of things. Um, but what I'd like for us to do is just take a few moments and praise the Lord together through expressing our own hearts to him. And let me encourage you to, 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 to basically, I'm gonna give some, some little instruction about some things to praise him for. And let me encourage you to do it in your heart language, whatever that is, because you're not doing it for the people around you you're doing it for the Lord. And he speaks every language fluently, okay? I always get a kick out of when I'm with other brothers and sisters and they pray because they will always pray in English for my benefit, which I, I appreciate the sentiment, but I just assume you prayed in your heart language because it's to the Lord anyway. Just, you know, I, I, it, he's the audience. So here's some things. Let's just bow our heads. Lord God, as a people, we want to step into your presence. We want to see more of who you truly are. And so we're choosing right at this moment to praise you because you are good. And so let me just encourage you to, if you would, to say it out loud, just in your own words, in your own language, tell the Lord you love him and tell him what he means to you. Don't worry about what anybody else hears because they're not important. They should be focused in on telling the Lord themselves. So let's just do that. Take a, take a few moments and just share your heart with the Lord. Thank the Lord for forgiving you of your sin. Would you thank him for wanting you, desiring you, and making you not only forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ, but his son and daughter. How amazing is that? Would you praise the Lord for that reality, for that gift
Heavenly Father, we want to draw closer to you. Would you teach us to praise you in a way that reflects the reality of who you are? Or would you enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth? Lord, to align what we say and what we live with the reality and proclamation of your word. But Lord, also to bring all that we are, all of our spirit, all of our soul, all of our desires into that because you are the fulfillment of everything we need and everything we want. So would you grow us as a people in praise, in learning to articulate with our voices and with our lives the greatness of who you are. Teach us to worship. Grow us as a people, Lord. Father, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people and we want to see more of you. So, Lord, that is why we ask that you would grow us. You alone, Jesus, are worthy of all our praise, of all our love, of all our devotion. And so, in joy, in cheerfulness of heart, because of what you have done, we come to you this day. In the great and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. After our service, we'll have intercessors over here to pray with you because part of the instruction of God's word is to pray together. You're not alone, especially if you're troubled, if you're suffering. The invitation is to come together in prayer, and so that will be open to us. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up, and, and we're going to we're just going to practice what he says. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. So let's sing with all that we are. Because it's not about us, but it's about the greatness of our God. And if you know the song in your own heart language, you can sing it in your heart language. Let it out, okay? All right.